Welcome back to another episode of the Carter Cast. I'm your host, Carter Bond. We have a very special episode for y'all today. We have two-time Super Bowl champ and former Carolina Panthers wide receiver Ricky Prohl on the show. It was an awesome interview. We get into his foundation, the Power of Play Foundation, and all the great work they do, so go make sure to check that out at prolificpark.com. We also talk about his time as a coach and player with the Carolina Panthers, some Steve Smith stories, and more. But before we get into our interview with Ricky Prohl, we are brought to you by Pod Talk. Pod Talk is the best way to listen to podcasts. It has the best interface compared to every other podcast listening app out there. I use Pod Talk myself. Go join the Carter Cast group discussion in Pod Talk right now. Download Pod Talk to listen to all your favorite podcasts. Go check it out, Pod Talk in the App Store today. Now our interview with Ricky Prohl. All right, we now welcome on two-time Super Bowl champ Ricky Prohl. Ricky, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Of course. So let's start this off. Tell us about the Power of Play Foundation. Um, it's an organization, uh, obviously a nonprofit. My wife and I started back in 95, and it's, um, you know, help families in need, special needs children, um, just educate our community on, on um, the families and the, the children that need our help. Uh, you know, we've just, um, from from kids that, just giving them a platform and an opportunity to have uh, equal opportunity, I should say. And it, it's, it's grown. We've done uh, fundraisers from golf tournaments to um, blue jeans and bourbon, a, an event that we have here at the park. And, uh, but it's dated back to, we've got, it's been like I said, since 1995 that we've done golf tournaments. We do Santa's helpers where we provide Christmas for families in need. And, and we've been able to provide shoot. 300 families a year for the last five years. And it's, uh, it's life-changing. And then, like I said, it's just educating the Guilford County and the surrounding communities on, on, on there's so many people out there that need our help. And um, we've been able to build a inclusive playground um, that's for children, wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back when I grew up, you know, the special needs or, or children with disabilities wasn't in public schools and now they are. And, and um, you know, I was kind of dumbfounded. I, you know, I just didn't realize the need for, you know, when it's recess time and we all go out and play and we don't think about the children in wheelchairs, the children that, that can't go out on the playground and play. And, and uh, so we were able to uh, build an inclusive playground here for, and there's so many families open to the public and, and here in Guilford County. And we're just trying to, to build more throughout the state of North Carolina. So where can people donate and find this information? Um, they can go to my website, uh, prolificpark.com, um, and look for the foundation tab. And, um, and Natasha, who is my director, um, can answer any questions as well as I can. Awesome. Well, make good. sure to go donate. And uh, let's start this off. Let's get into some football. Um, so you get drafted. So you're from New York. You end up at Wake Forest. How did that happen? Well, I, I was born in New York City. I was born in the Bronx. I grew up in New Jersey. And um, I was a big Walter Payton fan. So I was a running back most of my Pop Warner middle school, high school days. And um, my junior year, I was a running back, and a receiver got hurt. Um, I filled in at receiver, had a big game. 
went back to running back the rest of the junior year and then senior year, then moved me receiver. And I, I blew up, had a great, I was all state first team, um, but I was a little undersized, probably 5'10", 170 pounds. And um, not a whole lot of people knew about me. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it was, I think, Thanksgiving of my senior year is when Wake Forest um, got wind of a, a receiver up in Hillsboro, New Jersey, and and, uh, and liked what they saw and eventually offered me in February my senior year, 1986. And, and that's, I, I had no idea where Wake Forest was. Um, didn't know anything about it, but, uh, you know, I thought I was going to end up in a division three school, Shippensburg or East Stroudsburg, some of the smaller schools, Rutgers has 15 minutes from Rutgers. They didn't even mm -hmm. ask me to walk on, but, um, you know, I had two offers Wake in West Virginia and I just, uh, came down South, fell in love with the South and, and the plans that Wake Forest had for me and, uh, the rest is history. Wow. That's interesting. That's a good story. Cause most people, most people don't really know about Wake Forest, you know, if they're from up there or something like that. But personally, I came to know you when, with your time with the Panthers as a player and as a coach. So I was just curious, you've been to a Super Bowl as a coach and a couple as a player as well. What is the preparation like, you know, is there a difference for a player and a coach? Is it more strenuous one way or the other? Could you just talk a little bit about that? Well, the workload is, is <laughs> definitely more strenuous as a coach. It's um, the preparation is, you know, you're, you're looking at 15 to, depending on the day of the week, it, it starts out Monday from probably 16 to 17 hour days. And it starts tapering off by Thursday or Friday to, you know, um, eight, nine hours a week, but it's just, it's a lot of film study, um, you know, instilling plays that you feel that can be very successful mm -hmm. um, for the team, the opponents you're playing. So I think as a player, you're studying film, you're watching, you're practicing, obviously, um, you're doing all the things you want to do to be successful, not just as an individual player, but also as a team. And, um, but as coaches, you're putting together the game plan and, it, and it's a lot more time consuming and it's a lot more work. And, you know, I always said playing was easy, you know, uh, these coaches put you in a position to be successful and you go out and, and execute and have fun with mm -hmm. coaches, even as losses, man, you come in, that's the worst thing coming in it after a, a tough loss and, and um, evaluating film and tape and where the players are home resting. Okay. All right. So you mentioned 16 to 17 hour days. Did you, did you ever get burned out? Um, no, because I loved it, but I, I did, I do think it's, it's way too much, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you know, your playbook, you're sometimes game planning, you're, you're putting 200, 250, plays in for a game when you're only going to run 60 to 70 plays a game, you mm -hmm. know? So you're not even going to, you're not even going to use 60% of the plays you're, you're installing. And, and to me, to be efficient, to perfect the plays that you want to use for that particular game, you're only going to get to practice so many plays. And that, and that's the one downside I, I see. And, I, and I'm not saying all coaches do that, but we, we did that. And, um, and I just felt like, you know, as a player, knowing what I knew as a player and, and being on the other side as a coach, I just felt like it was overkill. And it doesn't need to be 16, 17-hour days. You know, a tired coach isn't a good coach. And um, and it does. It wears out. You know, you start to wear down on you towards the end of the year. And it's, it's, it's um, you know, it's tough. These coaches work hard. But I do think sometimes they need to work smarter rather than harder.
That makes a lot of sense. And so, like I said earlier, on the 2016 Panthers, you were on the coaching staff, and there was some injuries to that team in the receiving core especially. So we were just wondering, we're big Panthers fans here in North Carolina. How did you prepare the receiving you know, the receiving core for that Super Bowl, knowing that, you know, your top receiver during the regular season was out? Well, for me, you know, I, I just – I think that was the advantage I had as a former player and playing 17 years. I got to play for some great coaches, some great players, and, and you learn a lot. You can't help but learn. When you're around great players and great coaches, you can't help but learn. And when you have the opportunity to play 17 years, I felt like I learned a lot, not mm. just as a – a technician and, and teaching them route running, but building confidence. And, and I think some enough, enough isn't done in building the mental side of it. And, and as a player, um, I wanted to, I wanted to encourage me. I think we all need that. I don't care if it's the NFL, if it's high school, if it's pop one, we all need a pat on the back. You know, we all know it's a tough game. It's a physical game and you're going to drop balls. You're going to make mistakes, but it's how you learn from those mistakes. And, and, how you're coached up on those mistakes. And so for me, it was, you know, I, just to give an example, Ted Ginn, Ted Ginn had come and he's a fifth round pick overall from Ohio state, great talent, great speed. And it struggled here and there, you know, bounced around in San Francisco and then Arizona. And for me, it was, man, he was, he was an amazing athlete. And it was, for me, it was about building confidence, working on some of the little details in his route running and building that confidence and catching the ball, doing drills, um, and just taking small steps at a time. And then it was Philly Brown who was undrafted. It was Devin Funches, who was um, a second-round pick but a rookie. It was Brent Burson, another undrafted from Wofford. And just putting all those pieces together and just um, building that receiving core that I knew what their strengths were and to put them in positions, whether it was Ted stretching the field, whether it was Philly Brown catching me underneath, utilizing speed, Devin Function using his 6'4", 230 frame to make mm-hmm. catch those slants or big body guys on fade routes. Um, and, it, and it was – they started to understand their role, and I started to try to put them in a position to where Coach Jewell and I would really communicate on putting them in in certain situations to where they could have success and we could have success as a team. And I think it just started feeding as the season started going on and we started having success and and we started plugging them in 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 certain plays um, to where they could create opportunities and make big plays and chunk plays and red zone plays. And um, their confidence just started exploding. And and then it just it took on a whole new life from there. What's something people don't understand about Cam Newton? He is one of the most unselfish team players that I've ever played with or had a chance to coach with. Um, He gets a, a, you know, he's very, um, he's got so much passion and love for the game and love for his teammates. You know, I, I don't think still to this day, I don't know if I've ever seen him talk about a, a teammate that dropped the ball or a lineman that, didn't make a block um, when 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 Cam got blindsided or mm-hmm. you know like I said a drop or maybe something that turned into an interception. He always assumed responsibility. All he cares he doesn't care about his numbers. He doesn't care about um, how many touchdowns, um, how many yards he threw for, how many yards he rushed for. All he cares about is winning. And um, you know I think if there's one thing that 
that you could say about Cam early on was maybe he was immature, mm-hmm. but love and passion for the game, for his teammates. Um, I love the kid. Uh, you know, he's he was fun to coach. He came to practice every day, um, working hard and giving his best and, and um, positive attitude. And, and uh, you know, you look at New England last year and, and Cam struggled. But they wanted Cam to be successful. You could hear by their comments, their press releases from whether it was Bidwell, whether it was Josh, um, because he is such a positive role model in that locker room for the young guys, for the vets. He's fun to be around and, and it's contagious. His, his, his attitude is contagious. So obviously Cam's on the Patriots now and they just recently drafted Mac Jones. Do you see him finding success with the Patriots or do you think that success maybe comes at another stop down the line? Um, you know, like I said, Cam is a selfish player and he wants to, he, he loves to compete. Um, he competes at everything. And, and, but I will say this, he, he's going to, you know, he, he will help Matt Jones in any way he can. Um, but, you know, I think that's a tough question to answer. I think um, that competition is going to make Cam better. And he's got one thing in mind, and that's to lead the New England Patriots to the playoffs and then the Super Bowl. That's his goal, you know. He's not trying to, you know, win eight games or nine games and, and be a, you know, a winning quarterback and, and have a winning season. He wants to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that's his, that's his goal. And, um, you know, I, I hope it's in New England. I really do. And uh, But I know he's going to keep playing. Um as long as he feels physically possible that he can play, whether it's in New England or whether it's somewhere else, mm-hmm. he'll do that. So you played and coached with Steve Smith. Give us your best Steve Smith story. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I mean, where do I start? You know, um, it can be uncensored. Anything goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think Steve Smith, uh, my, my biggest memory is, is when, I, when, it, when I knew it was my first year with him. And I think it was, I think it may have been preseason when he was starting to come on as, or maybe it was second year. He was, he was obviously coming on as a, as a you know, a, um, a franchise receiver, you know, his rookie year in the Super Bowl, or not his rookie year, but the, my first year with him in the Super Bowl and what he accomplished as a receiver. And, you know, he was looked at as a special teams return guy only. So when second year, they, we started kind of phasing him out of special teams because he was too valuable to the team and we didn't want to get him hurt. But a lot of times in crunch situations, he would say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to return a punt. I'm going to return a kick to try to get us in, in good field position, especially if we needed it down the stretch of the game. And um, it was a tight game. And, uh, but we were in a, um, a preseason game and he was, he, he would watch punt returns and he would see different things, you know, that I don't see even as a punt returner, you know, he, he, mm-hmm. He saw the whole field. He saw where seams were, what, what things, how things were happening um, as they were unfolding, where a lot of people don't see it. And that's what, gave, that's what made him special. So it was probably second half. He, pro, he said, Pro, watch this. I'm going to go take the next punt return. I'm going to take it to the house. You know, I see some things, yeah. I, you know, and, and he, um, sure enough, he caught the punt and took it 75 yards to the house for a touchdown. Now he got called back for a penalty, but you know, it's little things like that that Steve could will himself to do anything. He is pound for pound the best football player that I ever played with. 
wherever he got a chance to coach. Um, to me, in my mind, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. He, he is an amazing player um, for a guy his size, could play like he was 6'5", his vertical leap, he could go up and make acrobatic catches, go over the middle and take a hit and bounce right up. I mean, I look at, I look at, we were playing Chicago. In Chicago, as a coach, he caught a dig route over the middle and the safety hit him so hard. They were in midair. Steve went 10 yards, five yards, maybe probably five yards back towards the line of scrimmage. Got regained his balance and then started running forward again, where <laughs> oh the, the safety was on the ground. Just little things like that. He was he was just a beast, man. His arm strength, his hand strength. He could grab you by the wrist and you could do whatever you want with both hands, and you weren't going to break free. I mean, he was um, unbelievable strength and, and power and speed um, for a guy his size. He, he was absolutely amazing in my mind. Obviously the best Panther to ever put on the uniform um, equally, probably right there with, I think maybe a slight edge because it's dirt, but with Luke Keekley, I mean, okay. Luke was unbelievable as well. So speaking of Luke Keekley, were you surprised by his early decision to retire or did you kind of, I guess not see it coming, but like, did that catch you off guard completely? It did. It did. And a matter of fact, I called Luke personally and, and just said, Luke, why? And, and I know just being around Luke, um, the five years I was around him, um, he's such a competitor. He takes pride in everything he does. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with that. And I don't know why they did it, but changing the defense to a 3-4, mm -hmm. it put him in a bad situation where he was taking on linemen. And I think in his mind, he felt like he couldn't play at the level that he had played at for so many years. And, but it wasn't – it was the scheme. It wasn't his – loss of physical ability but I think it took a, a, a toll on him and just having a run around linemen pulling and linemen you know getting in his face and you know 4-3 star just to tell you 4-3 you got four down linemen well they're two guys they're holding up the linemen and letting Luke kind of freelance and run downhill to plays and that was his strength to replays as you know he knew yeah. what plays were coming before they actually snapped the ball and, and uh and I think, you know, and I think I don't know if the concussion had something to do with it um, or concussions and he just wanted to go out on top or go out on a, a note where he was still healthy. But um, physically, mentally, he could still play the game and play at a high level. And, and um, you know, that day he retired, we all we all lost something. We lost it yeah. watching a great player. Uh, he was amazing you know, in, in, in watching him and how he played the game, how he prepared during the week, mm. his film study, and then his on-field preparation um, was bar none the best I've ever seen. So you mentioned you have a great relationship with Cam and Steve Smith. Was that whole situation when Steve Smith left awkward for you? Yeah, it's just, you know, just to be honest and transparent, it wasn't good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then and, 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 and Steve's defense, Steve, Steve is – Hardcore, man. I mean, he's he's honest to a fault. And he'll tell you, you know, that he's he's made some mistakes and, and said some things and done some things he's not proud of. But that's what makes Steve Steve. And um, I think in his mind, Steve has worked his tail off to be the player that he became. 
you know, and, yeah. and that he was future Hall of Famer. Um, and I think it it upset him sometimes that Cam comes in first round pick and he's the franchise. And I think, um, you know, sometimes wasn't always the most accurate passer, didn't do everything, you know, um, the way Steve wanted him to do. Yeah. You know, guys like Cam, I mean, have you ever been in the same room with Cam? Have you ever seen – I mean, the guy's a physical specimen. I mean, you look yeah. at him and you, it, it's almost – you think, how 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 is this guy a quarterback? Like, I mean, he looks like a, he's as big, if not bigger, than some of the defensive ends that play the league. Mm-hmm. And he can run and throw and um, he just had it all. And, and I think, you know, there were times where Steve just got frustrated with him, with Cam, you know, and he just felt like he didn't earn that – position to be the franchise quarterback or to be the voice of our Panthers at that time. And I think there was a lot of friction, not on Cam's side, on Steve's side. And, I, and Steve was sitting next to me, I would tell him that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, ups- it upset all of us and it upset me because I love Steve, you know, he's a dear friend of mine. And, but sometimes he acted like an ass, yeah. you know, and um, it was affecting the team and it was time. Unfortunately, it was time to go in a different direction. So the last question I had for you personally is on the topic of the Panthers still. Sam Darnold just came over to be our quarterback. You know, what do you think about the upcoming season? You think we'll, you know, be 500 team or you think we'll be a couple years away from, you know, finding the playoffs again? What do you think? No, I think um, I think Sam Darnold's going to surprise a lot of people. I think he's a great um, – he's got an opportunity to be a great football player. Um, he just was in a bad situation where um, it wasn't a good situation. And, and – um, you know, I think he's I think he's a very talented young quarterback that's got a bright future. You know, if they protect him, he's got some weapons. He's got one of the best, if not the best running back, arguably um, top three in the league um, that can take a lot of pressure off him if, if um, Christian stays healthy. Uh, he's got some good weapons um, at the receiver position. Um, so I think you're going to see some things. I think he's going to be he's going to pleasantly surprise. Um, the Carolina fans. Good to hear. We're glad to hear that. <laughs> so I have two last questions. First off, you were on that 06 Colts Super Bowl team. You signed at the end of the year. What was it like being with Peyton Manning in practice? Unbelievable. Um, there's two, two, I've always said this, and it's probably Peyton probably has a slight edge. 17 years, the two smartest football players I ever played with was Peyton Manning and Marshall Falk. Peyton was like a coach in the box, man. I, you, I'd put him up calling plays with the guy in the box. I mean, he could process yeah. information so fast, dissect the defense, you know, with his whole, you know, he revolutionized the game, which the whole clap Omaha, you know, just dummy call snap just to see what they were going to do, saw what they were going to do, and then boom, change the play, call the play, put Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Dallas Clark and um, those guys in a position to, to have success and, and to just, I mean, what did he win? 11 games for, I don't know how many years in a row. I mean, yeah. the guy was truly um, and just a first class individual. I mean, a great team player, um, just a lot of fun to be around and just, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, one of the best three months of my life just to watch him operate and dissect defenses was truly amazing. So 10 years later, 
uh, you, you faced him in the Super Bowl as a coach. What was kind of the game plan? You playing with him, you know, in 06 in that Super Bowl year, but then you faced him again as a coach. How did you try to game plan for that? Obviously on the offensive side, but still. Well, he was a mirror image. I mean, he wasn't even close. Yeah. Um, I, I think I probably could have thrown the ball further than Peyton at that point. <laughs> um, and, and I'll be honest, I think we made some mistakes as coaches. I think our defense was unbelievable, dominated. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I think if we don't have those two, you know, strip fumbles in our in our own red zone. I think we win that game. I mean, I never thought for once that we were going to lose that game. We were a better football team. Oh yeah. They couldn't do anything offensively. We just put them in in a short field, within what the ten yard line, fifteen yard line twice, and that killed us. That you know, I think we should have. They had the best two defensive ends in football, and and I think we should have ran it down their throat, and wore them down, and then tried to throw, open it up with some passing. And, um, you know, when I become a head coach or offense coordinator, then I'll make those decisions. But I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that still leaves – that game left a, a bitter taste in my mouth because I think we were a better football team and we should have came, came out ahead in that Super Bowl. So this was my last question. It transitions great. Did Cotri catch the ball? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Was it a weird feeling after that? You're like, oh, crap, what's going on here? Well, that's a big point. And, you know, yeah. that's the thing about football. I think it's why it's one of the greatest sports is because every play matters, you know, every game matters. And obviously it's the pinnacle and that's the last game, but that's a huge momentum, you know, momentum swing. We catch that ball. Now we're close to what midfield mm-hmm. and we're driving, we're making some plays. And, and um, that was a huge stall, you know, on third down. And, and um, but I, I just couldn't understand why, you review it and you see it, you know, oh, yeah. he got his hand under it. You saw his hand clearly under the ball and it didn't move. Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, he definitely caught that football. God, the replays of that. Oh man, we were going crazy. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was. So, Connor, you got anything else? Um, I think that's about it. Oh, actually, I did have one last thing. So your son, Austin played at Carolina. I go to Carolina. So does that mean you're like a Tar Heel fan now? Absolutely not. Yes. Not one here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No, I, I got to, uh, Dre Bly coaches there now. He's a dear friend and he's a great football coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do. I, I I mean, I root for Wake, ECU, and, and Carolina. And, um, okay. So, so, not a uh, state yeah. fan, right? No, I'm not a state fan. <laughs> Thank God. Nope, not a state or a Duke fan. Sorry. But, uh, let's follow yeah, up. I, I, I do, I do root for Carolina. We, we, you know, uh, other than when they're playing Wake Forest, so um, that's fair. Yeah, there's some, there's some, a little bit of blue blood in the family now. That's awesome. Well, hey, Ricky, thanks again for your time. Make sure to go donate to the foundation and uh, do whatever you can to help. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, Ricky. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Y'all have a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with two-time Super Bowl champ Ricky Prohl. I want to thank Ricky again for coming on the show. That was fantastic. He shared some awesome stories with us, and I hope you all enjoyed that one as much as Connor and I did. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Soon these will all be on video on YouTube, so just follow us on Facebook or Twitter at CarterB8 or Connor underscore Sparrow for all that. I guess we'll see you all next week. Bye.